The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. We're not allowed to have fun anymore. So who of fun, let's at least not be bored. Come on, record. And we're live. It's time. It is again. Friday, January 7th, 2022, 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, and I am going to uh, dispense with the banter uh, this evening because uh, our guest Molly Ball has to leave at 5:45, and so I don't want we can we can defer the banter till till after she's gone. We are not allowed to have fun anymore, more, but we are allowed to have Molly Ball of Time Magazine, who uh, has written, and uh, she. Uh, reminds me that she actually wrote back in August a remarkable profile of uh, Michael Fanone, who is uh, the officer who uh, of the D.C. police who uh, uh, has been most vocal about uh, matters uh, related to the January 6th uh, uprising or uh, insurrection or riot, whatever your preferred term is. Um, she recently wrote uh, a Twitter thread kind of re-upping the whole thing. Um, and Molly, welcome to the show. And Thank get you. Us, get us started. Um, uh, like, walk us through this story a little bit. It's not the story about Michael Fanone that I thought we uh, knew. And so I'm, I'm curious for your... Uh, sort of account of what he went through, not on the day, which we know, but in the months following uh, January 6th. Yeah, um, you know, our cover line for this piece, and, and thank you so much for having me, and, and it's particularly to discuss this piece, uh, which I care a lot about. Um, the, our cover line for this story was the aftermath, because uh, it really is much more a story about what happened after January 6th, right? The, the narrative making the the history shaping uh, or lack thereof or or, uh, or distortion thereof uh, that occurred that I that um, that prompted me to write this so so maybe the best way to get into it is for me to sort of tell the story of how I came to the story how I came to write it yeah um, which is that you know uh, in the days after January 6th uh, I was very shaken up like a lot of people and uh, there was this great story in the Washington Post about the uh, by by their their terrific police reporter, Peter Herman, about the cops who defended the Capitol. Uh, and then uh, and then a couple of, a couple days later, uh, I saw a few of them on TV. Uh, Fanon was one of them. Daniel Hodges was one of them. And I think it was at a time when people, myself included, sort of needed that uh, emotional uplift of feeling like there was a hero in this situation. There was someone we could be grateful for. Uh, who, uh, who who had who had sort of uh, been responsible for 
helping save democracy. Um, and then a few months later, I, I saw him on Don Lemon. There was a segment that, that went viral, started trying to uh, reach out to him, eventually made contact uh, and we and had a series of conversations, a series of interviews and, and um, you know, the just sort of on paper, it looked like a great story, right? Here's a guy who uh, voted for Trump, calls himself a redneck, has a, a very sort of rural accent, a drawl. Uh, and it was just this incredible irony uh, on its face that he would be beaten within an inch of his life literally by a thin blue line flagpole, right? And by a crowd chanting USA uh, and uh, people who, as we know, thought that they were acting as patriots, acting in, in defense of their country, uh, not the opposite. And uh, and so, you know, at the time that I got to know Mike, he was uh, still on medical leave uh, from the Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, he was, you know, suffering from PTSD, as I wrote in the piece, uh, still uh, living with his mom, going to a lot of uh, doctor's appointments. Um, but what I found out was that uh, he, you know, he when he started showing up in Congress, right, he, he went to lobby to try to meet some of uh, the Republicans who were voting against the gold medals uh, for the officers who defended the Capitol. Uh, and there was there were a couple of high profile incidents, for example, when Congressman Clyde uh, refused to shake his hand. Um, so he was becoming increasingly visible. Uh, and as I got to know him, I sort of discovered the the, the complexity of his story and and the and the thoughtfulness and and the journey that he was on. I sort of caught him in the middle of this journey of of realization that he was having. And I think, you know, as a political reporter, it uh, it was a little bit similar to the journey that a lot of my friends, particularly on the right, have been on in the Trump era, a real struggle with his his own identity and figuring out how he could square the person he thought he was, a policeman through and through, uh, with uh, the role in which he'd been cast and, and the and the distortions uh, that, that, that Trump had wrought. So, uh, uh, so the real sort of emotional core of the piece, it was, it was about the way that, you know, we were all being sort of, I'm tired of this term, but gaslit about what had really happened on January 6th. And there was this, and there still is this real war, this real struggle going on uh, to define what it was that had happened and, uh, and, and what it meant. Um, but also uh, it, it really resonated uh, with me as someone who has been following and been interested in uh, the debates over policing in this country and the uh, protests of 2020 and the debate that we've been having for years in this country uh, about public safety. And so, and he was caught in the middle of both of those. You know, he, he voted for Trump in 2016 uh, because for many years he uh, had, he had felt like police were being demonized uh, and he particularly blamed uh, Democrats and the left for this, for, uh, for sort of politicizing uh, the police and, and, and putting them in the middle of uh, a polarized debate, particularly about race. And so, uh, so, so he was on this journey of sort of reconsidering everything he thought he knew and everything that he thought he was. Uh, and that's what I, I hope to be able to capture in the piece, in addition to just 
telling the story of January 6th in a way that I hoped uh, would allow people to grapple with the seriousness of it and, and the consequences of it uh, on a human level, as well as on a you know national and political and constitutional level. So it's an incredible piece. I came to it late um, and um, I somehow missed it when I, I did not in any sense miss his testimony, but I missed this piece when you wrote it. Uh, and this is a good argument to all of you out there. Do Twitter threads about your past work, because sometimes in, in the rush of things that go on, uh, you know, people miss things that they actually would want to read. And I, I really appreciated the opportunity to come back and revisit this and actually didn't notice that it was from August when I reread it. I thought you were sort of doing It's just that fresh, you know, it just stands the test fresh. of time that well. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so I, I want to ask you about the trajectory that he was on, because I feel like at some level it tracks the experience of a lot of never Trump conservatives as you um, that there's a that there's a moment where they were, you know, beaten with thin blue line flagpoles in a metaphorical sense. And of course, him, it's in a in a literal sense. Uh, and some of them uh uh, like Lindsey Graham, decide that actually they deserve it and that's okay. And that's the sort of Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, uh, Mitch McConnell experience. And some of them actually go through this process of revisiting a lot of assumptions that they had made. Um, I look at his story and I say, if I were a Republican member of Congress, what on earth would possess me not to shake the hand of a person who is ideologically sympathetic, uh, who uh, looks like me, sounds like me, and by the way, help protect my life? And so I, I am curious about how he came to be PNG'd he hadn't, this was long before he had uh, allied himself with Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney and given that table stomp thumping uh, testimony. Why is it and how is it that he came to be identified as part of the problem from the point of view of Republican members whose lives he had helped protect? Well, the short answer is he refused to shut up. Um, he's a he's a stubborn person, a strong-willed person, a person who uh, insisted on having his voice heard. Uh, and in part, it was a way of dealing with trauma. You know, he he was severely physically and mentally traumatized. Uh, he suffered a, a minor and, and heart just attack. For, for people who don't remember this, yeah. this is the guy who uh, people. I wish I had the uh, who, who magazine was, was here. Tased I pulled it up and and said people were standing there shouting, "Kill him with his own gun!" Right? He he really thought he was going to die in that period of time, and ends up uh, telling somebody, "I have kids." I mean, there was a real. This is not trauma light. Let's <laughs> like this is the real deal. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you could argue that he suffered the most severe uh, non-lethal injuries of, of any officer who responded that day out of the hundreds who did, and many of them were severely injured. But, you know, he did uh, come within an inch of his life. Uh, he he was a, um, as, I, as I wrote in the piece, a, a plainclothes narcotics officer, rank and file officer. Uh, and uh, he and so he didn't have to be there that day. There was an all call that went out as he actually went into work early because he heard this call to the Capitol. Uh, and, you know, there'd been intelligence percolating. There was a sense in advance that things could get ugly. He drove in, you know, he's, he, he lives outside the Beltway in Alexandria. He drove in early, met his partner at the station. He literally never put on this uniform before because he worked plain clothes. His, what he had planned to be doing that day uh, was to meet up with his, his favorite informant, this uh, elderly uh, black trans transgender woman named Leslie. Uh, who was a very close friend of his, uh, who actually uh, has has sadly died in in the time since, um, and they were going to make a heroin buy in the projects, and that that was how he usually spent his days. He was you know doing high level trafficking work and working with federal agencies and so on, uh, but it was very far from crowd control and very far from the Capitol. Although he did do a brief stint as a Capitol police officer in the beginning of his career, twenty years ago, uh, so. Uh, so he voluntarily, you know, he and his partner, uh, Jimmy Albright, uh, self-deployed to the Capitol, uh, responding to that call. Not everybody did. You know, he later became a little bit bitter about the fact that, you know, this is a a, a 3000 plus officer department. Uh, the call went out for, for everyone who could to respond to the Capitol. Uh, but it was about 850 officers who, who chose to do so. This is the Metropolitan Police Department that patrols Washington, D.C., which is a separate entity uh, from the Capitol Police who patrols specifically the Capitol grounds. Uh, and so Jimmy, he and Jimmy uh, walked into the Capitol uh, as the riot was already well underway. They heard an officer in distress call. They went to the West Front, uh, which we now know was the what was sort of the last line of defense for the Capitol. This was the door of the building that most directly faced the White House where the rioters were, were coming from. Uh, and it was the door, the central door, the door that, you know, the, the, that the president walks out to get inaugurated. Uh, and, and it was uh, crucially also an unfortified door. Uh, so, so the glass was broken very quickly. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, when, when, uh, so, so when they got there, this battle was well underway and it was just, hand-to-hand -hand combat. There was really not anything sort of organized about it. It was just officers standing shoulder to shoulder, riot shields up, trying to block this entrance and push back this sea of thousands and thousands of people. Uh, uh, at one point he said it, it reminded him of, of the movie 300, except without the, the six pack abs. So uh, so they, it, was, it was very intense, you know, clouds of tear cast, the, the floor slick with vomit, um, people getting injured and passing out and 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 replacing each other on to try to hold the line, uh, and uh, so he and his partner Jimmy got to the front of the line, and uh, Jimmy looked away for a moment to grab a knife uh, from from someone who was wielding one. And when he looked back, uh, Mike had been dragged into the crowd, and and that was when he was he was beaten, he was tased, he was dragged down those marble steps of the Capitol head first uh, and face first. And uh, he heard the rioters around him saying, get his gun, get his gun, kill him with his own gun. And at that moment, he thought, should I draw my gun? And as he's recounted his thought process uh, subsequently, 
what he thought was, you know, I, I would be justified in doing that legally uh, in using force, but then what would happen? I would probably die and a lot of people would probably die. Uh, and, uh, and so the only thing he could think of was to with the thought being that the second that the gun is into play someone else fires a gun like gets out of control. it just gets out of control exactly right okay exactly. i just want to make i just want to like make sure that i'm like yeah there. that's exactly right that's exactly right good question um and so and so the only thing he could think of uh in that moment of sort of panic uh again is he's screaming from this taser at the base of his neck uh and suffering a heart attack in the process uh, he, the only thing he could think of was to appeal to any humanity that these people might have. And, he, and so he sort of whimpered, I've got kids. And that was when, you know, uh, most of the rioters continued uh, to, to try to beat him. But, uh, but a couple of them appeared to hear him. They, they, they sort of pushed the rest of the crowd away. They, 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 they surrounded him and picked him up and sort of dragged him. He was half unconscious at this point. Um, they they pulled him back to that line at the door and he was pulled back behind the line. He lost consciousness for several minutes. Jimmy ran back with him, terrified that, that he wasn't going to make it uh, and trying to bring him back, reminding him that they, they were, they had plans to go duck hunting. Come on, buddy, stay in there, stay with me. And this is all on videotape uh, and it's, and it's chilling to watch. And, and um, his, he has said, and I think this is one of the most interesting emotional responses that he has that his reaction to the two people who helped him out was oh my god thank you internally what he was feeling was oh my god thank you so much and fuck you for being here um and i i, I thought that that kind of captures this uh this transition that he is beginning to go through yeah yeah, I think that's right. That's sort of the moment. Thank you, but fuck you for being there. Uh, and uh, and because there were sort of two transitions for him, right? And and they're both, you know, the the where you were talking earlier about uh, the parallel uh, with the Never Trumpers. It's when you realize that the people you thought were your friends aren't your friends when the going gets tough, right? And so or, the first and, moment, and, and that they actually that's want it. to kill yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> like, I don't think it's like the going gets tough. They're making the tough. Like, yeah, they're the ones that are like, they've turned against you very like, actively and are trying to kill you. Correct. Yeah, it's not like it's not like they abandon you when we're trying to kill you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think that that's much more profound. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not like uh, a passiveness like yeah. that's the opposite. Right. Of that. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, it is both an, an act of aggression to like have started this and have shown up that day an act of aggression to specifically attack him. And then a semi, like an act of, pa but still an act, still an action and not passive to have the presence of mind to try to save him. But all mm -hmm. of that is a, is a complication that is, that is, um, that is not about like the circumstances. Like none of this is circumstances. These are all created events. Like this is like they're like none of this is having to happen. And it actually reminds me almost like of a Stockholm, the start of a Stockholm syndrome type of feeling. Um, which is just like being grateful that your captors give you food, but like also fuck you for kidnapping me. Like, you know, like, you know, there's like it's like the same type of it's the same type of psychological kind of uh back like back layer, I think, to to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm gonna drop out Scott, go ahead and 
by the way, have you met Scott? Scott is our other co-host. He would join a little late. Hello. But yeah. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Um, uh, um, although I, as I pointed out in the chat, I still get paid. Um, so the, um, first of all, I, I, I started reading it right before um, we jumped on. It's really be beautifully and powerfully written. Um, so congratulations um, and, on and that. And for those who don't know this about Molly, Molly also has written a fascinating biography of Nancy Pelosi uh, and uh, uh, a lot of other things that you should read. So, you know, start with this piece, but uh, 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 Molly has done a lot of work that is worth your time. I've Thank seen you. your byline for a long time. I'm a big fan. So. Thank you. Yeah, okay. um, so, so, um, one of the um so you actually had a link uh um to the footage so i i spent most of my time actually watching the footage right before this and i i was struck by two things um w one was just um i mean how violent it is um how it was and how that you know we don't i don't think of it as being so violent um, as more almost comical, but you, the footage just shows how unbelievably violent and brutish it is. But and I, I, I was wondering how this plays a role in in his story um, uh, of the article. That but that Trump is uh, is really inciting them. Um, he uh, he. If you go to a like. If I went to a rally of somebody I supported and they're telling me they stole the election, I mean, I would be, I would be really upset. Um, and then like people say, let's go to the Capitol. You just, I mean, I guess I would run to the Capitol. There's a kind of, I hadn't realized how much incitement and explicitness. I, I somehow imagined that the president of the United States would have like kind of insinuated um, that well, he literally was, said, let's right. go and I will go with you. Right, uh, right, exactly. Which, so, which, shockingly, the former president said something that was not true in that moment. Uh, he did yeah. not he walk said he would, to the Capitol. He said he would go with them. He did them, say he would go with them. But then he all, then there's this, it's, it's actually a I mean, it, he had an speech. excuse. He dodged it because of flat feet. So they wrote him a note. Right. And oh, God, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it's actually a fascinating speech from an incitement point of view. So he says, you know, Molly is correct. He says, let's we're going to go. And there's a pause. And then he sort of shouts to the Capitol. Right. In this way that is kind quite violent. And then he says, and I will go with you, which is false. I will be with you. And then there's this other pause. And then he says to cheer on our courageous legislators for their courage, which is, you know, obviously ironic. But some of them we won't be cheering for. So he actually, if you read the sentence, um, it is not anywhere near the legal uh, definition of incitement, right? He says, you know, we're going to go to the Capitol and I'm going to go with you and we're going to cheer on our legislators and some of them we won't be cheering for. Um, but if you hear it and you're in the state of mind that Scott is in describing, 
I can totally understand. And you think that Trump is there with you and he's called on you to do this. And then there are these assholes who are standing in your way, preventing you from doing what the president of the United States yeah. uh, demanded I, that you do. And he's being quite emphatic with like he says, there's been massive fraud, not like a little fraud, not like our data guys think that there's something there are anomalies. He is saying we won by a landslide. So and the you other side knows it. Right. And he thinks the whole idea is stop the steal. They're stealing. They're stealing it from us. I had almost, um, I mean, sympathy would be too strong of a word, but I got it. Like why these people had stormed the, the Capitol. It seemed like, of course, the thing to do. Um, and so, I, I mean, so, so, so much about Trump is so outside the norms of human behavior that it's hard to remember how, how irresponsible um, uh, and malevolent the man is. Can I ask a really a kind of follow-up or kind of observation, but a question like kind of tailing on to like Scott's observation, which is just like, do you remember this? Like, what do you remember of January 6th, Molly? Mm. Where were you? Like, what was like, what was your relationship with this story? I mean, I feel like, so, like it's not, we've talked about this at the time because we had the show that day and I actually was sitting in a totally different location because I was trying to be in front of a TV because I was like watching it all happen still. And I was just like in shock. Um, and I had been like on the phone for two hours, like just blabbing with a friend and like doing on a walk. And like all of a sudden she had looked at a TV and was like, get to a TV. It looks like Benghazi at the Capitol. And that was yeah. like basically like what happened. And then like I watched from then on. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious what your story is with it. Yeah, I mean, I obviously spent a lot of time in the Capitol. I was not there that day. Um, I'll always remember that it happened on a Wednesday because Wednesdays are when we generally close the magazine. So I was actually working on a piece that week, uh, sort of uh, bidding farewell to Trump. And the angle was uh, the damage he'd done to the Republican Party. And so it was tying together uh, the Georgia runoffs, which had just been resolved, uh, just concluded, and, uh, and, and, and the fact and the loss of the presidency and everything else. Uh, and, uh, so we, we ended up uh, recasting that piece, but, uh, on, on a tight schedule. But so I was, I was watching it, uh, on television and I, and I watched the speech, um, and, and, and it is a very striking speech to go back and watch, but I was struck by it even at the time, uh, how aggressive it was. Uh, but you know, it, it wasn't the first time that he had laid down a marker on this particular date, uh. In fact, uh, I had uh, another piece that I was working on that was sort of about uh, the defense of the election. Um, and uh, we didn't run that before January 6th, in part because we wanted to make sure that that milestone passed without incident um, before we asserted uh, that the election had been saved. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I was also uh, watching it unfold uh, uh, from, from home on TV uh, with, with great alarm. Um, and, uh, and, and hearing from a lot of people that I knew, uh, who were either there or who had also had connections to the building. I was literally recording 
Rational Security with Shane Harris and uh, my wife and and Susan Hennessy, and it happened, and we just reacted like our reactions are like on rational security in real time. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to, before we go to audience questions, and I want to be, uh, I know uh, you have a brief time. I, I just want to ask you, I mean, he is now working for CNN. He's left the police department. Where is he now uh, in, in, in that political evolution uh, with respect to his former community? Well, you know, he, he voted for Trump in 2016, but he always considered himself sort of independent and apolitical uh, and uh, really just not interested in politics. I think like a lot of normal Americans, uh, he sort of uh, looks at it like the Olympics. Every four years you notice it and then it goes away. Uh, maybe a little more annoying than the Olympics, depending on how you feel about figure skating, I guess. But uh, but so uh, he but but so he says that, you know, he started to uh he, he soured on trump he says pretty much immediately uh especially because of the effect that he saw uh trump having on his fellow police officers you know the guys around him were just so bitter and angry all the time and trump was just getting them riled up you know and saying these things about blue lives matter and embracing the police that were you know, transparently self-serving for Trump, transparently a bid for votes, at least at least to Mike. But but so many uh, you know, police officers and others in, in, in law enforcement and the military were so captivated uh, by, I think, the combination of lip service and machismo that Trump sort of represented. Uh, and so uh, Mike didn't like a lot of that stuff. And so he soured on Trump pretty quickly. Uh, and he did vote for Biden in 2020. Uh, he uh, particularly was moved to do so uh, because of the time that uh, Joe Biden attended the, the funerals of the cops who were murdered in New York City uh, several years ago. Um, so he saw Biden as a Democrat who was who was pro-police, uh, which I think his, his his career has been that has been a theme. Um, but uh, but so to go back to sort of the. Um, the evolution that he's had, you know, I talked about this in the piece and also in my thread yesterday, it, his, his real alienation has been, you know, because his tribe wasn't the Republican Party, his tribe was law enforcement. Right. And that has been the real difficult alienation that he's wrestled with. That is the tribe that he has uh, found himself sort of forcibly expelled from in a very disturbing and difficult uh, and, uh, and, and, and traumatic way. Uh, so, he, so walk yeah. us through that, because that that to me is the most shocking thing in the article. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, when uh, when Fanon started speaking out, uh, he started to get grief for it. And uh, it, it, at first it was just sort of like, well, you know, the, the sort of policeman's code, you don't put yourself out there. We're not heroes. We're just doing a job. Uh, but it was clearly more than that. It was about it was about Trump, and it was about the fact that he was speaking specifically against, uh, you know, blaming Trump for what happened, and uh, and calling out the the Republicans trying to whitewash what happened. And so it was. It, uh, I think the first moment that that really hit home was when you know there was a Metropolitan Police detective assigned to investigate the assault uh, on him. 
Uh, and and he found out that that detective had been posting uh, posting nasty things about Mike, about Officer Fanon, on social media, calling him names, saying that he was a buffoon, calling him an egomaniac. Uh, and uh, and so he complained to to a supervisor, like, "Hey, how is this guy supposed to investigate my case? Right? This is." And and they said, "Oh, don't worry about it. You know, he's just he's just." got an opinion and so he kept complaining and the and the, the the guy was eventually taken off the case and 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 his assault has been uh since then exclusively handled by the fbi it's, it was taken out of the the metropolitan police department's hands um, but that was the beginning of uh of a phenomenon that really became pervasive and as he became more visible there was more and more sort of chatter you know he was in the hospital for three days uh recuperating from his injuries uh before he could go home and and um and then you know for months afterwards uh, in physical and emotional therapy, and uh, and it w- but it was when he testified before Congress. He's you know it was when he started appearing on TV and 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 visiting uh, the Capitol to to, um, to 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 try to meet with these Republicans, um, but especially when he testified in late July, uh, these guys who never called or texted when he was in the hospital started sen- started you know sending him these mocking memes from cop forums or these or these articles in in right-wing media calling him an actor and a and a fake and questioning uh, you know whether he was even a, a cop at all or telling the truth and so people are sending him all this this hateful crap and i think and that was when he sort of realized that that he was no longer welcome and uh and the, and when he uh he, he he wanted to go back to work he was finally cleared to return to duty in September. So this is after my article came out. Um, and I'm sure uh, being on the cover of Time magazine really helped. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, he it was it was it was in this whole process that he, you know, he started out on a mission to speak up. Ironically, he felt that he was speaking up on behalf of the police. He believed because it was when he was lying in this hospital bed, watching CNN, and there were commentators saying, well, why weren't they making arrests? Why weren't there more cops there? Why wasn't there more of a, a stronger police presence to expel these rioters? And he got really pissed off. Like, how dare they question us? This is just more, you know, liberal anti-police bullshit. So he picks up the phone, you know, Google CNN, calls a number. And the person who answers says, you know, sir, this is the reception desk. But uh, but he wanted to call out what he saw as the, the, the liberals who were sort of sliming uh, the police for, for doing their best on that day. And to explain what uh, you know what they had done and and how how hard they had they had worked to 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 save the capital and, and protect it and so um, uh, and and so that was his initial motivation and it was gradually as he started thinking more about it and seeing how it was received and watching this all play out and watching how something that seemed so obvious in the moment that seemed so obvious when he was there. When those Republican members of Congress were there fearing for their lives, you know, we saw them make a lot of very different statements then than they're making today. Something that seemed so obvious in the moment uh, was being turned around and turned on its head and twisted and distorted. Uh, and so first his mission was, well, I can't let them tell these lies. I have to correct the record. I've got it all on camera. It's on my my, my body worn camera that once they see it, they can't deny it. And then it turned out they could still deny it. They're, they could still question it. They could still lie about it. And 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 as he thought more and more about it, and as he thought and as he saw, you know, his own tribe and law enforcement turn against him and, and choose, you know, I, this is this is a, a little bit of a, a detour, but I've uh, just always liked this this metaphor. I remember 
being in uh, Central Florida in uh, September, October 2016, uh, covering the Trump campaign. And it was right after Access Hollywood, right after uh, Paul Ryan had, had disowned, had walked away from Trump to the extent that he did uh, during the campaign. And so at this rally, uh, uh, you know, here's, here's Paul Ryan, the supposed golden boy of the Republican Party, for, for, you, know, you know all this stuff, former vice presidential nominee. Uh, and, uh, but it was, but, you know, forced to choose between Trump and Paul Ryan. Uh, we all know how, that, how that, that went down. And what I wrote at the time was it was as if, you know, there was an acrimonious divorce and the kids chose daddy. And, and they kept choosing daddy over and over and over again. And, uh, and so that happened. And, and so that was also what happened, what, what he saw happen, you know, they could choose between their friend uh, or, or Trump and, and, and they chose Trump. Uh, and, uh, and, and so he gradually realized, and, and I think he said to me at one point, I know this sounds uh, insane and, 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 and narcissistic or whatever, but my, but I really got this idea in my head that maybe I could be the one to, uh, to get, to, 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 to get Trump out of all these people's heads, to try to finally, you know, stamp out everything that, that Trump represented. Um, so this mission that he was on sort of snowballed, uh, and continues. Um, but, uh, but so it was this, this series of realizations for him that he had sort of bitten off more than he expected. Scott. Um, just <clears throat> really, really briefly, I mean, you know, the, the song, you know, the revolution will not be televised. Well, my God, <laughs> in the moment, everyone is like filming this. And of course, he's got the body cam. And even the prosecutor, even the, the guy who's investigating the assault is posting about this. It's like we are like oversharing nation. Um, it, it's 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 just for, it, it's. I just want to. I mean, or in the footage, everyone's carrying their iPhone. Um, they're it's like they're they're filming it and then sharing it. There's like no job even for the state to do. <laughs> you know, they just have <laughs> lots of video to. Go through. Anyway, I just want to know how bizarre this is. Richard, the floor is yours. Hi, um, I have a couple of questions. Should I ask both of them? Or ask both of them. Oh, okay. So, um, for, first of all, I, I read the article and it was fascinating um, and, you know, despair of being, I guess, you know, the obvious reactions. And I, um, but I, I was curious about if. Uh, if Fanon has any co complaints about how outside the right-wing news sources that the news media have been covering not only his but others' stories as well, and not to mention the coverage of the aftermath of January 6th. Um, I think at times he has been frustrated by uh, feeling like he's being assigned a side when he doesn't see himself as taking a side and want, or wanting to have a side, uh, particularly when he has been put in this position of sort of speaking against Trump, you know, the guy's still not a liberal. This is still a guy whose social life revolves around, you know, hunting, fishing and country music. Not that you can't be a liberal and do those things, uh, but uh, he is still very much, you know, culturally and dispositionally, I think, uh, conservative with a small C, not, not in the like, you know, limited government sense, but just sort of in the cultural sense. And, uh, 
and so uh he and so he doesn't like the idea that suddenly he's this liberal crusader and and he still does uh want to speak up for for the good name of policing when it's done well and to push back against some of the negativity you know he's he's tried repeatedly to build bridges with some of the uh, DC Black Lives Matter activists to try to say like let's let's try to find places where where we can collaborate and find common ground and they've basically said fuck off uh, they don't they 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 don't they are against the police uh, they want to abolish the police and so they're not interested in even speaking to him um, and he would like to believe that there's a world where we can all see each other as human beings and not take sides but try to solve problems and I know that sounds hokey and Pollyanna-ish. Um, but I think if there's a frustration with the coverage, it's that it it is so polarized, and uh, and and that you know he doesn't want to be seen as, and he doesn't want to feel used by the left any more than the right. I, yeah, one of the lines in your article that struck me when you discussed the way that the you know the Republicans wouldn't have anything to do with them for obvious reasons. The Democrats wouldn't have anything to do with them because of the whole police issue, and which I, uh, which I found very disturbing, just because it on both sides it kind of uh, it, it reflects an unwillingness to deal with some inconvenient facts. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I my, mean, as I sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I don't want to draw an equivalence here. Uh, he, you know, has, yeah. the, 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 the Democrats, in, particularly in Congress, uh, have mm -hmm. been very good to him. And he's made a lot of friends, interestingly, mm -hmm. not just with uh, Eric Swalwell and Nancy Pelosi, but uh, with Ilhan Omar uh, and many other uh, Democratic members of Congress, as well as, you know, the Cheneys and Kinzigers of the world. I guess those are the only Cheneys mm -hmm. and Kinzigers, unfortunately. But um, there's uh, two Cheneys. That's true. Uh, <laughs> but uh but uh, but 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 it is the case that you know he is not. I mean, you think of like, for example, the 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 way that the first responders were lifted up and embraced on on both sides, but particularly by Republicans after nine eleven. Uh, the Democrats have not exactly treated the 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 cops that way, and 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 he did get word that part of the reason was that that um, particularly in urban politics, uh, the they did not want to be seen as too pro police in this in this political climate. And particularly pro this kind of police, right? The kind that does hunt, hunting, fishing, and country music. Well, uh, you know, there were there were plenty of uh, officers who, who who there that day who who don't look no, no, like that course. and they it's also a, didn't and, and they didn't get awards the, either is what i'm it, saying it's, but it's, to the was, extent he, that he's the face of it to or has become the face of it he's the face of a kind of policing that a lot of liberals have you know a he he is a a bit of a cultural stereotype of a type that ex, that the liberal rejection of police is a very clear rejection of. And I and I think there's a, you know, the the fact that Black Lives Matter activists won't meet with him is a is a reflection of that. Yes. But what I'm trying to say is um, on the political level, you know, there were there were white cops and black cops and plenty and all kinds of different cops there that day. Uh, and none of them got anything from the D.C. mayor's office until uh, Fanon wouldn't shut up and send a bunch of letters and, and they invited them to an employee appreciation ceremony where alongside, you know, the, and this is nothing against sanitation workers who do a vital job, but in, but to, you know, maybe 
didn't put their lives on the line to save democracy this year. Um, and so it was it was alongside uh, the uh, the municipal workers who, who did a good job that the cops also got a sort of pat on the head from the D.C. mayor's office. And similarly, you know, he sent a letter to the White House. Jen Psaki was asked about it in the in a briefing, said, I'll get back to you. And then three months passed. And then I started asking them about it. Uh, and uh, the response from from the White House press office was to say, well, you know, Joe Biden loves the police. Look at all these dead cops. He said nice things about. And I said, well, what about this guy? <laughs> and that was when he and his fellow officers got invited to the White House. So, uh, Richard, your second question very quickly, because I want Paula to yeah, get okay. her question in before Molly has to go. Great. Um, so you, you also wrote that for or actually you didn't write, but you you noted the suicides of a few of the police of a couple of the police officers. I think since that article, now we have a total of four police officers who have committed suicide. And I was curious if you knew if they were dealing with similar frustrations about the reactions of their departments, the FOP, Congress, and the White House. Yeah, I don't want to speak to that directly because I don't have direct knowledge or my own reporting on that. I have seen some reporting to that effect. I, I do remember, you know, a couple days after Mike testified before Congress and before my story had come out, uh, getting a text from him at about 11 o'clock at night uh, uh, because he had just found out that another MPD officer who was there on January 6th, someone that he had known for many years, had committed suicide. Uh, and, uh, and, and that I believe, that was uh, Gunther Hashida, who I believe was number four. Um, so, uh, you know, this is, th this, 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 this cognitive dissonance, this, this, uh, this identity struggle uh, that these cops are going through, it's rough. Paula, you get the last question today. Um, thank you. Um, so my question is, is one of the things that I noticed was kind of how like cosplay level and performative the people who were at the Capitol were like it was a lot of 1776 kind of revolution style thinking. And it does remind me of the very performative and transactional relationship that these people have with the cops because now they hate people um, who were at the Capitol trying to let them in. And they were, I remember hearing them say, you're supposed to be on our side. And I'm wondering like, what is that like for him to see or like in total to see how it seems transactional and performative. And I can't think of another word besides cosplay, it almost feels like. Well, I would point out that many of the rioters were themselves members of law enforcement and or the military. There were many uh, active duty or retired uh, police in that crowd who, who have since been arrested um, for their participation. Um, and and as I wrote in the piece, you know, the, the, the police union, the Fraternal Order Police, uh, has has never denounced the Republicans who voted against the gold medals for the police who were there that day. And in fact, the union has defended some of the officers uh, who, have, who, who were arrested for participating in the January 6th riot. Um, so, uh, you know, there, the, that, the, there's, a, there's a quote in my piece where, where Mike says, you know, I've, I've come to realize I thought I was speaking for the police, but now, but I think that most police would actually have been on the other side of those battle lines, given the choice. And, and that was true in fact, as well as just sort of conceptually. And as I, as I wrote in my Twitter thread the other day, yesterday, I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, January 6th in, in a lot of ways, you know, 
the 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 instant commentary that day and the the observations people have made about oh you know uh, this is this has been used on, on the right to excuse uh, some of what happened is oh well they were let into the Capitol you know the cops were giving them directions some of them shook their hands and we've since found out that there was a uh, there was a Capitol police officer uh, communicating with rioters after the fact he's been arrested for obstruction because he tried to help the rioters cover up their crimes uh, so uh, so and what I wrote in my, my my thread was that you know January 6th was a test of which side the police were on Trump's side or America's side. And uh, not all of them made the right choice. And for the ones Molly, who did, it hasn't necessarily been easy. Right. <laughs> Molly Ball, you're a great American. It's a great piece. Uh, uh, we're going to let you go uh, so that you can get to your uh, six o'clock. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, um, let's get together in person once that's allowed again in life. Absolutely. I'm vaccinated anytime. Thanks right. for having me. Take it easy. Well, on that cheerful note. Um, no, that was a, I mean, she was amazing. Yeah, she's great. Um, oh my God. I, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I mean, just to reiterate, it really is a very powerful. It's a very written powerfully piece. written really piece. Is. I did not, I do not know how I missed it at the time uh, it came out. Yeah. Um, I was very aware of Fanon's uh, 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 testimony and the substance of what he said and the, uh, the piece I was not aware of until Molly uh, issued her thread yesterday. Um, so, um, again, do tweet threads of past work. Can I also just say that she hits on something that really was something that has never, that is still something that we're all grappling with, which I think that she didn't adequately answer today because I don't think she can. But th the entire piece is about which is the the deep 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 paradox and irony of like these people who are supposedly the, the i think that the, the the almost too perfect beating a police officer with a like a blue blue lives matter flag is just like it is also like it brings it how do I put this? It is not just like poetic in kind of the, the presentation, right? It, that, that is like too perfect. But it also just really, really like brings all of these deeper questions in, which is like, how do people abandon an identity? How do they decide which tribe they're going to sit to like support over another? Like, how is this happening in the moment? How do crowds change that? How does the president change that? How does an authoritarian regime change that? Like all of these questions about how these things balance and what snaps a person out of like, I'm about to kill a police officer while I have a like support police officers like bumper sticker on my car and I am a police officer or I am ex-military or I am whatever. It's just like a, like, it's just like a very, very rich line to plumb. And I think it fell away as we got very drawn into the politics post January 6th. But I think it was one of the most essential human stories of, of January 6th that I just like, I'm still grappling with in a very, like, in like a very, I don't know how we prevent this again at that level. Like, that doesn't like it still doesn't make sense to me there's still no one to blame there's still no way that that like that, that reaction makes sense like i don't know um sorry that was, I was just, there. I, I was no, just like, no, very no, moved by her piece no, <laughs> yeah no but actually the, uh, the thing is you know the way in which uh a philosopher would describe it is like moral development 
but it, that's almost that's too it's too crude for what actually what's happening here is that there is as I, I I exactly had the same reaction you did Kate about like you, what she's describing in real time almost not in real time like how somebody's sense of sense, self and who they're associating with changes I have to say like and I never really would have said before today's um, show, you know, like, oh, yeah, sure, one of the tribes in America is law enforcement, although, of course, it is. But, like, the story about how the, you know, law enforcement is implicated in January 6th is really, as you say, stuff of bad fiction. Um, but it's also, but it's also, I mean, you know what the analogy is that it reminds me of? It reminds me of like, it like reminds me of a person who keeps lions and is like an animal lover and like keeps lions and then is eaten by the lion, right? Or like attacked or horribly mauled or mutilated by the lion. Do they still love lions? Do they love that lion? Like, what is going on with like, what is this? What was the psychological relationship that changes with that kind of mo? Do you know? Like, I just think that it's like a very, it's a, it's a fascinating kind of like. I mean, it really is like a question of like how you engage your priors in a moment of extreme survival and then like I don't know I just thought it was she was excellent and this piece Ben I also hadn't seen it so thank you for bringing it to our yeah. attention um hi Shailesh nice to see you hey uh, glad so to you see that you're back from India okay how was your yeah. trip it was a roller coaster it, <laughs> yeah I mean I kind of feel like all trips to India from the U.S. are roller coasters like even without a <laughs> pandemic like, <laughs> it's a it's lot of really travel it really felt like a video game. Like uh, we, I like it was like we strapped jet engines to our back and like flew away from New York and U.S. and <laughs> Omicron was spiking here and flew back when it started spiking there. It was crazy, but yeah, no, it was definitely. great. It was meeting the family after years and years was was great. Um, so okay. you um, you had a question. We didn't get your question in, but uh, if you want to reframe it as an observation or a, or if you have something else, uh, feel free. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a question for Molly. I just think it's an interesting thing to discuss. Uh, like, what does someone like Michael hope to accomplish at places like CNN? I mean, good for him for finding compensation for, you know, something like he doesn't have his police job anymore so glad for him but these are not good guys like none of the cable news people are good guys in this picture like they're not in depth they're not serious they preach to a small choir and like they're just like just not good people in this so how does a principled stand like what's a good forum to take a principled stand uh, for anyone yeah, so, on any issue so this is a really so good look, question as somebody who yeah ben uh, on a temporary <laughs> basis that is to say two years allied myself with a, a cable media a cable news organization uh i think i can i don't want to speak for fanone um but let me give you some of the variables that would affect some that might reasonably affect somebody's uh uh decision in that regard so number one um uh there is no way other than that to talk to that many people um, and 
if I were somebody who was coming off of a searing experience like this and wanted to uh, be able to look people in the eye and say, uh, this was my experience, this is what I think, there is nothing like it. Um, uh, you know, and so I think that is a, and, and that was actually the calculation that I made when, um, you know, I felt like somebody needed to actually speak about the way federal investigations are and are not conducted, whether we should understand a, the Mueller investigation as a deep state revolution, you know, what the FBI is and what a counterintelligence investigation is, how it works, what a criminal investigation, how it works. I, and so you say, okay, I can write this stuff in lawfare and on a good day, 50 or 100,000 people will read it or I can go talk about it on MSNBC and, you know, sometimes millions of people will, will see it. And, and so the order of magnitude issue is real and I think it's, it's a legitimate consideration for him. Um, the second thing is uh, if you're coming out of a, with a cop salary, the money from a place like CNN is that's real money, and um, I think it's uh, real money for even not a cap. <laughs> well, no, no, but I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm saying, put yourself in his shoes, right? And what are the what are the options for somebody like that? Well, uh, realistically, there's sort of corporate security, um, and uh, but there's this is a a, a very powerful. Um, and so if you have the opportunity, it won't last forever because media contracts don't last forever. They last, th this is fundamentally about star fucking and um, that's what these entities do. I was a high value commodity right after I had, you know, spoken about the things Jim Comey told me. My value declined in a, you know, like rotting meat and uh, two years but later, but not my, like Lamprosciutto, which is not Lamprosciutto doesn't go back. <laughs> um, my, you know, and you know, but the your value declines um, in a, uh, and two, two years later, my value was such that it was not worth it to me to continue, and so I quit. Um, yeah. And and you know, um, but if you have the opportunity as somebody like Michael Fanone to be used by CNN and to use CNN to um, uh, to talk to large numbers of people and be reasonably well compensated for it. That is a it strike me strikes me as a completely legitimate uh, uh, choice. And I think there's a lot to be said for it, honestly. So, so Shailish, just like build a time machine, join the Capitol Police Force, be there on January 6th, get beaten with Blue Lives Matters flag, and then you two can and, like have exactly. a lucrative contract with like CNN. So Scott, <laughs> that's you, not what you were asking. I'm just teasing. Scott, wrap but, us up. You have Scott, a, wrap you us have up. A point, I love. You can a, you can you explain you the Fensock issue you want to discuss, like why it's a deal and like what the controversy is? Yeah. So I, I'm I'm not sure um, if it's a big controversy, but I just wanted to throw this out. I had a bad reaction. Um, to so uh, uh, the Federal Society had t 
tweeted out on January 4th, join us on Thursday, January 6th, oh, yeah, to hear from the panel of constitutional experts discussing the Supreme Court's upcoming docket includes cases on OSHA vaccine mandate, the First Amendment, immigration tax law, Medicaid, and more. And I, I mean, I quote tweeted and said, everyone celebrates in their own way, but they're it, like, I'm actually, I'm just actually curious um, whether my, my anger about, about like the non, like the LOL, nothing matters, kind of just passing over the, this really um, um, important event in terms of, you know, fidelity to the Constitution and the importance of the rule of law, um, to ignore it felt to me like a, just um, a, like the wrong thing to do. But maybe um, this, this is an overreaction on my part. I was actually curious what both of you thought. Okay. I mean, you, me first or you, Ben? Go ahead. I mean, when I get frustrated and things like this, and I'm kind of like, this was the wrong thing to do. One of the things that I like to do is what would they have done instead? Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that like, I actually don't know that I would have been any happier with like any version uh, um, besides some type of mea culpa um, that the FedSoc would have offered instead. Um, and so, and at the very, at, at, at actually the worst, I think if they had decided to acknowledge it, the way they would have done so would have been opportunistic and to have basically used it as a way to kind of get attention for their own views and their wrongheadedness um, and to like, and to leverage it into some controversial event in that capacity. So while I enjoyed your commentary and I thought it was completely correct, I also was just like, um, yeah, there's just no, like what, what else? Like, I, I just didn't like short of the, everyone having a brain transplant at FedSoc, how would they have done this better? Like, and I don't think that there's, I, I don't think that they would have. So, I mean, my reaction to this, Scott, is I understand your focus on the FedSoc for professional guild related reasons, but the FedSoc, you know, the, the, the old saying, the Supreme Court follows the election returns. The only two Republicans on the floor of the House yesterday for the commemoration for the moment of silence were that both was named fucking bonkers. And that was bonkers. When and that, that was, wasn't FedSoc. That was no, no, the that, Republican that's Party. The, this is yeah. the institutional position of conservatism. And so when the Republican caucus will not engage with it, the professional society that um, that aspires to staff these people will also not engage with it. And I think the problem is not here with the FedSoc, except if you're net looking at it narrowly from a lawyer point of view. The problem is with the entire incentive structure of the conservative movement. And the fact that Dick Cheney is today the Republican elected official who Democratic members of Congress will shake hands with is that it's is just, a it's, 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 isn't it completely bonkers? Isn't it like mind boggling? Around? 
And, and right. yeah, it's like, but, it's completely but here's the insane. Thing, Scott. But here's the thing, Scott. If Dick Cheney wanted to come on in lieu of fun and talk about democracy, would you have him? I have to say, I mean, I wouldn't, I, 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 I it, that's a tough call, man. Um, this right? is Dick, like, but this uh, is but, also the same call as being on CNN when it's uh, well, chills, like in a certain way. Like, no, do you associate so, so, yourself with someone? No, no. So I absolutely would have Dick Cheney on the show. And I, 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 I would, and I would never criticize you for that. So I would say, so, so, so and I'm just saying like, you know, there, there, you know, the work, we live in a, I don't know, I feel like this is almost, we're, we're, we're retelling the, the Mike Fanone story right now. Like but the, the but, various but, different tribes but that's the um, point. are colliding. But, but, but here's, but, but, but that's the point. The point is when we are all experiencing the, uh, oh, actually maybe now, the good guy is Dick Cheney, and certainly uh, his daughter has been immensely, whatever you think of her for other reasons, she's been immensely courageous over the last year and has stood for some very important things. When that is the world we live in, that the, the only two Republicans on the floor of the House yesterday were those are those two people? Were the fucking Cheneys? Yeah, sorry, those, I'm really so, sorry. Like, no, I'm gonna I'm put the fucking in front of it because it was literally that unbelievable. Like, and they're so, such an iconoclastic family. For so when that's the situation, it seems to me wrong analytically to focus on the Fed sock. That would be like, that's like focusing on the Conservative Dentists Association. Um, uh, you know, uh, and and I, I just think the problem is so much bigger than the Fed sock that it's a, like that it's like a like almost like a weird lawyer fetish to be like oh but, but what's yeah, the, but that's, what's the Fed sock audience doing? and yeah I get uh, no no it, I'm I'm not criticizing you Scott you asked me what I thought and no I no like, no like and, a no. giant comet is headed toward the Earth and um and is gonna you know has blown up all of conservatism. I don't really give a shit what the Fed sock does in that context. I care about the comment. Yeah, well, I, 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 for, I, in the comments, John Hawkinson has pointed out that we should call the Fed sock the Conservative Dentist Association from now on. And <laughs> Scott, I anoint you as yeah. the ship poster who will make that happen. <laughs> I really hope it does. I, I will say so. So, despite despite the the the, the online, you know, um, stuff. That I post, it, it, it turns out that first of all, I always speak at FedSoc when I'm invited. Um, so do I. Uh, yeah. Um, number two, so uh, so many of the people I admire in the legal academy are FedSoc members. Yeah. Um, and so and they do the best it, programming on a lot of campuses. And they also right, pay and, you, by the way. None of like I every time I'm, I do anything I've related never, to FedSoc or law. And I've economy. never gotten paid. I've never gotten paid from FedSoc. No, they don't pay academics. Oh, okay. oh, I guess oh. I'm just kind of thinking about, okay, sorry. I'm thinking about like George Mason and like anything law and economics. If they ask you to oh, like write yeah, a no, that's right. yeah, that, for that, something, that happens, it will right. not just be, please write a piece for a symposium for freezies. It's like, and here's a thousand dollars or here's yeah. $500. And it's just like, it's not a ton of, it's not like a, it's never worth the hours you put into it, but it is like, I don't know. It's like, it is at least they put their money literally where their mouth is. Um, 
and compensate you for your well, for your labor. I, <laughs> I I think there is a lot to admire about the FedSoc, the ideological positions that it has not uh, uh, the take that it well it doesn't take positions, but that it has countenanced uh, over the last five years, and the behavior of some of its members are exceedingly deplorable, and uh, its tolerance for that is really really upsetting. That said, it is of a piece with the way the entire conservative movement has behaved. It's a weird big tent phenomenon. Yeah. The tent is I mean that we big. don't like even like and, we don't call it. And if that. the tent if the tent is too big, what happens is the bad guys who you let in the big tent actually kick everybody else out of the tent. Yeah. And then you end up with a theoretically big tent that's in fact not very uh, big. Right. As as cake as Kate has pointed out to me many times, so I'm just going to point it back out to her. It's not that the tent has gotten bigger. It's that the tent has moved to the right. We are going to leave it there. That's me the holding tent... a tent pole. Like, <laughs> the tent is creeping away. Um, uh, we've gone over, which we've been careful oh, wow. not we to really do did. of okay. late. A fun but cheese night, friends. Yeah. Even though wrap. it was very depressing, but wonderful. Yeah. I mean, We're all really great thoughtful. Americans. And uh, we will be back some hours and some minutes from now. And until then, Scott. Oh, dear. I wasn't even. We can't have fun, but we can have um, excruciating identity dilemmas. It's true. I, I, before we go, though, I just want to say, Scott, I tweeted at you the best trolley uh, uh, oh, yeah. joke that, and I didn't get a response. Right. No, no, I, I, so I fell <laughs> I, no, wait, I, wait, so can I just say something? You're wrong. I fell, I, I went, I went to sleep at 745. I slept 12 <gasps> hours. I, I, went, I, I went to sleep at eight. That's yeah, so I, heard, I, I felt like I had a terrible headache as I went, I, I sweat, I fell asleep at a quarter day. I woke up. And you will see one of the very first things I did is retweeted that because I thought it was really funny. Uh, I'm, I'm going to check. No, we will be back. I, this, is on, <laughs> this is on video. I would be foolish to lie. And as you know, I do not lie. I've never lied. See you later, guys. <laughs> not to me anyway. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>